Live special Champions League edition. I'm your host, Lucy Zellich. It's fantastic to have your company this Wednesday, the 19th of August. And what a massive show we have coming up today. Don't we, Stolich? My co-host over at SBS How are you? I'm excited. I'm excited. This is a star-studded lineup, and we've already lost one member. Let's hope we can keep these two for the rest of the show. Yes, one's limped off injured because of a terrible Wi-Fi connection. Unfortunately, that is the great Spiderelli. Uh, he won't be able to join us today because of a, a poor connection issue. It wasn't for a lack of trying. We had him running around all of Sydney United uh, and probably all of Adenza Park, effectively, to try and get him to connect with us today. But unfortunately, he wasn't able to. So we are missing him. But what we're missing in him, we don't certainly lack with the panel here today. I'm so delighted to welcome back our friend, the great Patrick Zwanzweig, former Utrecht defender and, of course, a big congratulations to you, Paddy Zvansvike, on your appointment as assistant coach with A-League side Western Sydney Wanderers. How are you? Yeah, thank you for, uh, for announcing me that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm very good. It's going really well. Uh, we have um, great challenges ahead, of course, with the, um, um, well, hopefully that the A-League is still going ahead as of January. And um, we need to find some good players that can support the, uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers' expectations because we want to be definitely in the finals. And... You know, hopefully, um, hopefully go and create success what the club has had in the past. We'll talk a little bit more about that because I think it's just so great that you've been promoted to this position, Paddy, from all of your contributions to Australian football so far. It's a very well-deserved appointment and we're looking forward, very forward to seeing how you go with that. But it's time now to also welcome our other special guest joining us all the way from Chicago, the fantastic and wonderful David Zrilich. Zdrilla, how are you? Good guys, how you going? Finally, Stolich having problems with the picture <laughs> going up. You finally got the right one. No, I'm going all right. It's all good. Um, um, we're going all right over here. We start playing our next phase of games on Thursday, so um, at least we're out there playing. Um, but all good. Good to see you guys, um, and thanks for having me on again. No, it's great to see you and, of course, to have your insights into what we saw unfold this morning in the Champions League, uh, given that you were the former under-19s assistant coach with Red Bull Leipzig. So much time spent at that club's drill, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit. But, Paddy, I want to bounce back to you before we go on with what we saw unfold this morning and, of course, so many talking points. As we go on, ladies and gentlemen, tuning in today, make sure this is why we get together every week here. Make sure you get your questions and your comments in, and Stolich and I will do our very best to get through them. But there is a bump show coming your way. Paddy, why was now the right time to, to take the leap and join an A-League side? I've been talking to uh, John Setsmiz and, and the owner a bit for about 11 months and I never want to take anyone's job. So my that's mainly what I've been talking to the Mariners for about the last three and a half years. Um, and when there's a good time, a good time is when, when I was ready and I'm always ready to help. I didn't want to have uh, anything to do with the head coach job besides what I took last year as the, or two years ago with Hills United, but not in that kind of uh, A-League area. And I just wanted to work on the field, help the players, be a kind of a mentor, assistant coach, and let somebody of the, that wants to be the head coach or in any club do their thing, and I'm just supporting them. And, and this one came up before I took it. I asked them if, if JP wanted me involved, of course, if... If there is, a, if the club wanted me involved, or is it just um, someone to put in? Because I know the owner from uh, the Mariners when I was playing there, so I was very open and honest, and, and that's how I am always. And you know, this came up, and it felt good. It felt the right time for me, 
and 45 years old, so I'm not, not getting any younger. So, and I've, I've, learned, I've learned I've learned a lot in my coaching uh, styles, even at the Mariners, again, we all at the school, is mainly men management, and, and at Hills United, uh, and, and yeah, play, playing with some of the best footballers in the country, and, and creating a kind of style of play that, that you keep, keep possession, being able to attack in football, and yeah, and in the end, they won the uh, they won the title for the first time ever, and it's nice to work with good players. So I think that's uh, that has to happen with the Wonders to create a good atmosphere, get good players in, and, and on the back of that, I'm trying to mentor the NWL players, try to see how we can get some of them to join the first round. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you in action there. Of course, the club uh, needs to bounce back to glory. Uh, it's been a, a while now and a long time between drinks since we've seen the Wanderers playing in finals football. And I think that we can all agree that when the Wanderers are doing well, the A-League is also flourishing too. So, Paddy, we wish you all the very best in that venture. Some comments coming through already. Juggles Football Culture, Paddy, is one of the best brains in the game. Football Brain Deluxe, thanks so much for your comment, Juggles Football Culture. And also welcome to our regular viewers as well. Hassan Bertan, he wrote in and said, hey, guys, nice to see you again. Hassan Katie Bayou, one of our top fans on our World Game Lives. Great to welcome you back. Big shout out to the great Bianca Petko, also joining us from Brisbane. Great to see you once again. Uh, Stolich, a lot of comments already coming in asking if you're okay and if you recovered from Barca's capitulation the other day, but we're not going to get to that yet. But just tell us, you're alive and well, clearly. I mean, yeah, clearly I'm, I'm doing some early mistakes in the show, so maybe I haven't fully recovered. I've, I've been throwing Zrilla's face up when Patty's talking. Wow. We've lost Spider. So I don't know. Have I fully recovered? I hope so, but we'll see. I might I might have an 8-2 loss in this uh, production. <laughs> so far, you're down at least 5 mil. I'll see you Please, let's go to you now and talk about what we saw unfold this morning. Uh, you know, a, a cracking, absolutely cracking game between Paris Saint-Germain and Red Bull Leipzig. Uh, you know, I, I said to Stolich yesterday, I said, a PSG going to absolutely belt them? And he was a lot more optimistic, but I feel like you could see this result coming from a mile away, given just how strong PSG have been. And this morning, they looked so comfortable, didn't they? Yeah, that was, um, it was, I, I found it to be an amazing game. Um, uh, the, the background behind it is obviously Tuchel and those Nagelsmann, he was coaching him when, um, when they were at Augsburg, but also um, via the assistant coaches. So one of the assistant coaches, Scholt Löw, um, was at Leipzig and Salzburg for many years um, as assistant coach to uh, Rennick, to Hasenhudel. Um, before the Nagelsmann era. So he knows the Leipzig system very well, although Nagelsmann doesn't play the traditional Ralph Rangnick style of, style of uh, football. And that's why some of these goals, a goal like that, um, is less likely to happen um, uh, against a Ralph Rangnick team than a Nagelsmann because he does like to play out of the back a lot. But, look, I just thought that this PSG side really stepped it up um, they, they had all elements of their game. When they wanted to press, they pressed very aggressively. Again, um, I think a lot of that comes from Short Love, the assistant coach that was at Leipzig. Um, then you've got the, the transitional play when they wanted to go for, forward and they play those balls in behind, the runs in behind from Neymar and Mbappe, just incredible, the timing of those runs. Um, and then also the transition moments in general, uh, forward and defensively, because they knew defensively, Leipzig at times, they were very quick in their transition, as we know, but also the defensive transition from PSG was just incredible. And then there were other times when PSG just slowed the game down, were playing one-touch football. They knew that Leipzig were trying to step out and trying to press. 
and they were just baiting them at times and then slowing the tempo, changing the rhythm of the game. So they'd slow, 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 a couple of passes, and then they'd go in behind. Um, and I also thought Leipzig were a little bit rattled. I thought they were a little, there was a little bit of stage fright there. You could tell, you know, in the first half, it was just incredible. PSG were just all over them, um, and they couldn't get into the game. Uh, Leipzig, they did have a couple of half chances, but that was just incredible performance from PSG. Some of these goals, some of these chances uh, was brilliant to watch. And you also saw, you know, big difference in, in money and the quality of player. Um, Leipzig built with young players. Um, you know, you've got Upa Meccano at the back, who is incredible, had an amazing uh, game in the quarterfinals. Um, but when it gets to that next level, we're talking next level is Champions League final, you can see there is still a gap. A lot of young players um, and the quality of PSG was just uh, too much. And they deserved to win by three goals. Probably could have scored another couple of goals. Um, but I don't think that's any disgrace from Leipzig who, you know, we've spoken about Leipzig's pathway and how 10 years ago they were in the fifth league um, in Germany. Now all of a sudden they're in the semi-final of the Champions League. Incredible achievement. Um, uh, and for a club to grow so quickly is not easy, especially with a philosophy that uses young players um, the way they do. So PSG, it's going to be a great final, whoever they come out, come up against. Um, you know, probably Bayern, the favourites, but who knows after what Leon did to Man City. Mm. Which, what were your impressions of the match? Yeah, I think it's really summed it up. At a certain point, you get to this level where the quality of players, the, the margins are so fine. And I thought PSG set up very well. They pressed very well. You saw two of the goals came from um, Leipzig struggling to play out from the back. But you got to say the trident of Messi, uh, Messi, uh, like I'm already having a shocker here, Mbappe, Neymar. Neymar and Di Maria is really they're combining so well and maybe it's taken them a year or two to really settle but they look as good as any front three we've seen in a long time comparable to that Messi Suarez Neymar that we saw at Barca and it's just they can open you up in so many ways if you sit back they have Neymar has the creative ability to poke holes in your defense if you push forward they can get in behind with Mbappe's speed so it is very hard for Leipzig to deal with that. And, yeah, I think uh, it looks like, you know, they'll be a very good match for whoever we see in the final, which is probably Bayern Munich. Mm, of course, PSG. I mean, the investment that they've made, Paddy, since the Qatar Sports Investments Group came on board in 2011 has exceeded the 820 million mark, given all of the transfers, the high-profile players that they've secured. Uh, but they've continued to struggle in Europe up until now. What has Tuchel been able to do with his PSG side that the likes of Laurent Blanc, Unai Emery, and even the great Carlo Ancelotti haven't been able to do? Yeah, that's that's. I think that's a very very good question because. Remember the 2017-18 Champions League when they were they won four 0 against Barcelona at home and then they lost six one away. And uh, what well, it's very similar squad, yeah, like the independent some of the individual names. But I think what Tuchel really does well is he creates the balance between the back line, the fullbacks that like become basically in the back for the wingbacks, um, and he's got a good good solid midfield where um, but starting with the. The, the Thiago Silva, central defender, very experienced, doesn't need to go forward, controls the game, but his leadership is, is second to none. Then you got normally Verratti in the front, but now you get Marquinhos also in front. Then you have the front three, as, as, as Nick just told me. They work well in attack, but 
if you look, they were three 0 up in the 80, 85th minute or something. It was ten players just five meters on the edge of their own uh, ADI box. So they are willing to come back. If you compare it quickly to Barcelona, man, they're not going to defend. Messi's not going to defend. Suarez not going to defend because Messi doesn't need to. And then you had uh, Vidal in there that played against his old club, and also he doesn't do it that well. So you're talking about like three players straight out not doing enough the back. And in these tight margins with teams that are so well structured and organised, you're gonna you're gonna leave gaps and you're gonna get a lot of chances against. And yeah, so I think what PSG did really well is is, is recruitment and management and what what Madrid said. Mbappe to give the freedom to run in behind the lines, not just as a left winger, sometimes as a right winger, sometimes as a striker. Neymar that comes not as a normal nine, he can come that nine role, drops in as a ten. There is a lot of freedom in that role with Di Maria probably mainly playing from the right side because of his left foot. But what they do as a team uh, is unbelievable. And you think about the central defender Kim, uh, Kim Pembe, how good he is in just Man marking with speed, defending speed in behind. Yeah, like I think they got the ultimate squad. If everybody's on song, they have a really good chance of winning this league. Of course, a massive boost to get Mbappe back. He started in the previous game uh, in the quarters off the bench after that horrific injury that he sustained, but a fully fit Mbappe in conjunction with Neymar. I mean, the partnership that they have on the field, you can see that it makes such a difference. And then you consider the embarrassment of Rippers that they've got, uh, which extends to the bench there, the likes of Icardi sitting there, Tupamotin, who also scored in the quarter. Uh, these are some really important players. A question that's come through, Drill, and I asked you this uh, off-air and said that it'd be great to talk about. This one coming through from Ari Brisbane. PSG, Bayern and Red Bull, three out of four UCL semis with German coaches. What does Drillet think? Uh, the dominance that we've seen, of course, the, the current holders of the Champions League title are Liverpool, but we've seen such a massive rise in German coaches. We all know about their efficiency and their effectiveness, but why are they flourishing and doing so well at the moment, Drill? Because um, they they not only invest in player development, they invest in coaching development. So, um, it's similar when I was at Leipzig, it was like going, I've said it before last, it's like going to university. They, they're developing coaches um, just as well as developing the players. So we had, we had often uh, classes where we have modules on certain topics on, 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 on whatever. There, was, there were topics every, diff, every week, there was a different thing about how we're going to train this, what can we do here, uh, whether it be whatever. Uh, obviously, the philosophy was pressing, these kind of things, but at a high level and under under pressure. So these guys have developed under a system which has nurtured a very, very good uh, co co um, coaching education culture. Um, and you can see that now with, with a lot of young coaches uh, flourishing. But just back onto the PSG um, uh, situation and, and, and what... Tuchel has done very well, is he has man-managed many of these egos. And don't forget, the whole Neymar situation uh, um, during this COVID time and before that, um, when it, when every day it was like Neymar's going, he doesn't want to be there, he doesn't want to train, all this kind of stuff. And every day they were, they were hammering him in the press, asking about Neymar when he wanted to talk about the game or something else, and they were losing games and whatever. And he's come through that and put on performance like this. So that's not easy to do. So he's in the background. He's definitely doing something right. And he's got the team together. So um, that's another another big point for him. Obviously, Nagelsmann, a young coach, got into coaching early because he was injured. Um, Tugel recommended to him to get into coaching and start to do that. So 
uh, it's this development of coaching and the detail that they put into that is incredible. I, I've mentioned many times what happens at Leipzig, but it's every detail is there. And, um, and look, I'm thankful for it as well because, you know, I got 10 years in three years, basically. You know, it's just, it's just um, you know, I would never have been the same coach if I didn't go there. So I understand why they're, why they're so good. So the ones that have been there for 10, 15 years through the system, They've just got such a such a high level of coaching, and you're seeing that now um, also with Bayern Bayern Munich. I mean, they're absolutely flying as well. So it just seems like one German coach after the other. Speaking of coaches as well, I mean, we're getting some more questions coming in here. One from Santiago Munez. Okay, Strilly, you were talking about development. How does it compare to Australia's development? Let's hear it, please. So um, I, from Germany, um, German development. Uh, uh, we, I, I guess, talking about the coaching, yeah. So, well, it's it's you've got you've got your education, your, your licenses, but they're actually coaching, um, developing coaches within the club system. So, what does that look like? I mean, I I only know about Leipzig. I think Leipzig was definitely one of the best ones because there were mentors in the clubs who were overseeing your 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 sessions, your 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 team talks. Everything that you do is scrutinized by someone watching over your shoulder a lot of a lot of guys might not like that but if you're ever going to develop at a high level um you basically have to get used to pressure so you know i was in the under 19s as assistant coach but the first day i got there they were putting pressure on me because uh, i wasn't doing enough in the training session you know i wasn't like i wasn't involved enough the first day so it's like the demand there is to to for every drill. What did you do that drill for? Why did you do that? Why didn't you use this player? What's that guy standing over there for? So everything is is scrutinised. And then in game day, they're standing behind you, and you can hear them talking about you know what you're doing wrong. You know, it's crazy. It's like it's, it's, it's a hard yeah, no, I wonder who was behind Nagelsmann today. But it's very interesting, Bruno, what you say because um, a friend of mine, Jan Belong, was was doing that for Arsenal. He was the head of uh, academy coaching in Arsenal under Wenger and he wanted it. But the English coaches didn't accept that. They didn't always accept the feedback. So he's head of coach at FC Utrecht now and he's been in Germany with Wolfsburg and yeah. he's been, been around. And it's interesting that they, whoever listens to the feedback, Ajax now just the same. They have two TDs, one from 16 below and one overall and then Overmarch just with the first team. And the TDs sit down with the coaches every day or every week and the coach needs to say, okay, how can you make the best player better? Because normally one or two per year might get through, right? That's the factual picture everywhere in the world. We might want to get five at, at the Wanderers, but factually it is only one or two, sometimes there's none. But every session is to make that individual player better and the coach needs to have a position. Why are you doing positioning and for what reason? Very good. The other thing was... Um when you like you talk about hours of coaching we used to get there at like eight in the morning and leave the first few months we're leaving at like 10 11 at night and you you haven't had a minute spare you're in one meeting to the next meeting and you everything is covered there is no stone unturned and you are discussing many things in scouting you're, you're learning about everything so it was and you talk about the the, the, the academy directors on the different levels you're right i've got like Academy directors from under 11s down. Then you've got 12s to 16s or 12s to 15s, depending on what you want to do. It. And then from the 16s above, they're technical directors just for those age groups. Then you've got another technical director 
overseeing all of it. And then you've got the mentors that are implementing all this stuff. So think about that kind of uh, structure and how many people are watching what you're doing, always talking football, always at a high level. Um, Ralph Randick comes down and speaks to the guys and watches what you're doing. And sometimes he's sitting in your dressing room at half time. You didn't even, you just sit, you come in your dressing room, you're down one or two nil, let's say, and he's sitting in, in the dressing room listening to what you're going to say. So, you know, that's just crazy, crazy stuff like, you know, that puts you under pressure, but it's the best, best way to learn. So, um, Zril, can I ask, what, is it in every club or just Leipzig? As, as in every club in Germany, all the top clubs, or is it just specific to Leipzig? I think Leipzig are one of the, the, the front runners in that because that's that's sort of developed from Randnick, I think. But, um, but generally the coaching development, the pro license in Germany is very, very demanding. They have a 10-month course. You have to go to Köln, uh, Cologne um, three days every week over a 10-month period. Wow. So how, and you see, so some people are driving 500 kilometers to go to Cologne to do these licenses three, three days a week. So from Monday to Wednesday, then they go back to their club, have their do whatever they're doing if they're coaches, assistant coaches, and it's very hard to get in these courses. So people that come out of these courses are very highly regarded. Um, so the, 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 the coaching education level in Germany is just phenomenal. Wow, that answered that question. My gosh. And we complain when our boss asks us a question, Scully, from Moonlight. You've got at least four or five people asking you questions every day if you're at Red Bull Leipzig. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I want to move the conversation forward and, and ask a, a very uh, important question here because I feel like he's one of the most incredible footballers on the planet. Uh, and it, it's none other than Neymar. Uh, a lot of talk about him. I know that when he's featured for Brazil, a lot of it has been shrouded in a lot of controversy, more so with his on-field antics versus his actual skill as a footballer. Uh, and, and there's been such a spotlight on him from such a young age. Uh, but I want to ask you the question, is he underrated? Well, underrated. I don't know how you underrate a player that was worth, what, 222 million from Barcelona to PSG. So maybe he's underrated if you if you want to spend every dollar of the 222 million. But what he's showing you this morning and everyone that might have doubts on him is that he is like a genius. He's, he, he might be a little bit of an introvert because he doesn't just follow all the team tactical protocol and how to... You know how to play in combination play. He just plays like he's on the beach at Copacabana as a maybe as an eight-year-old. When you have that ball, he plays with his mates, and no one tells him what to do. But he sees the picture so quick. He got he get the ball. There's four players around him. He doesn't even want to pass it forward. Sometimes, but likely he likes to. But he keeps it, rolls it, and then plays it back. And then later he gets it, and he and he gives an assist and there's a goal. So he just has the freedom and the ability because. The freedom is nice to get, right, from a coach which is great man manager because I agree that is 90% of the job with him. Um, he's also got the ability to do so. So when he does it, it doesn't look bad. You know, when Suarez sometimes does it in a great game, it looks okay. In a bad game, he looks horrible because it, he doesn't have that ability. So to look then at a name that is at the top of his ability in a good team, that is just, if you love football and I don't really follow one club, so I mean, it's great to see, it's great to watch. And, and the combination play with, with an Mbappe who's a very young player, but, you know, already World Cup winner. And it's just, man, it's a team that, you know, can go on and win a lot of things. The only problem they have is 
that that uh, you know the, the France competition is that demanding enough for big players to stay long term at, at a club, and that will be you know, time will tell. Mm, a comment coming in from one of our top fans, Hassan Bertan Neymar, is not underrated. Um, I think he might be, though, Stolich, because when it comes to the greats of the world, I mean, why aren't we talking about him more with respect to the Ballon d'Or? Uh, there seems to be this real gap in the, the quality and, and, and the, the level of conversation that we're dedicating to Neymar, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he is deployed in League R. But what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think a lot of that conversation is dominated by the English media and he hasn't played in England, so that's one thing. Two, in World Cups and stuff, he has carried on like a bit of a dickhead and that has kind of never, you know, really endeared him to general fans and stuff like that. But I think like everyone is saying, he's one of the most talented players of the last 15, 20 years. He's an exceptional talent, I think. Mbappe and Di Maria help him a lot, though, in terms of the spaces and runs that they make. That creates a lot of opportunities because I think Neymar, I think the stat is um, since he made his debut in the Champions League in 2013 with Barcelona, he has had more assists than any other player in the Champions League in that time. Uh, so, And we, we think of him as, as a goal scorer, but he creates so many opportunities for his teammates. But, of course, he needs the runs of Mbappe and Di Maria. And I think Tuchel has done really well to to create that environment for him to shine so much because previously when Cavani was there, we didn't actually see the best of Neymar, I think. And now we, we are starting to see it. Also, possibly has he matured? Uh, his pressing is also very good now. Maybe it wasn't in the past. So there's a lot of reasons. Maybe also all this criticism all the time and the fact that he's kind of getting to his peak, maybe that's also having an effect. But, yeah, mm. I think I think right now I would say top two player in the world. Mm, has to be. Strilla, of course, for PSG, before we move on and talk about Bayern and what we can expect in their clash against Lyon, uh, the question that I have with this French side is if anything is going to be their undoing, what could it potentially be? Um, it's a good question. I mean, when you look at um, the game against Leipzig, that was I thought that was a very, very um, complete performance i mean i mentioned the you know they were able to to press they were able to to keep possession they were able to change the rhythm which is not always easy to 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 just slow it down and then speed it up when you need to uh, and find the gaps and and they knew exactly exactly how leipzig were going to come at them and they knew exactly how to expose them so um i think they're at the the peak of their powers at the moment um similar to when i see bayern bayern are absolutely flying i mean uh, i don't i don't wish um, Leon to lose, but I think Bayern against PSG will be the the better uh, final because they are just they are both very complete at the moment. So if if one of those two were going to lose, let's assume that Bayern do get through, um, it would be small details, small details, um, and that it's always down to small details on the bigger stage. Obviously, PSG against Leipzig, Leipzig for all those reasons we mentioned, PSG could see their class above. PSG against a Bayern, for instance, that'll be a very even contest. But um, definitely be great to see that. A lot of history riding on this as well, of course, for PSG. Uh, they will become the fifth uh, French side to feature in the Champions League. This was their first this morning, their first semi-final appearance uh, since 1995. Of course, Monaco were the last uh, Ligue 1 side to win it uh, many years ago now. So for them, this will be their first time ever featuring in a final. And if they win it, just remarkable stuff for them. But you'd imagine that, you know, time will finally tell if all of the money that they've spent close to a billion uh, will be worth it. Uh, Paddy, I want 
want to move on to now discuss uh, who their potential opponent could be. But before we get to that, your impressions of Bayern so far, because similarly to PSG, I mean, Bayern have already won it. We know how successful they are on the European stage. But in recent years, they have struggled somewhat um, and in Champions League level. But why are they looking like what, as Gula said, they're a more complete side nowadays? Yeah, I don't even want to look at the Barcelona game too much because Barcelona was clearly not at their league and their level. But they've won 18 games in a row since, you know, uh, since I think Flick took over. And, and, I, and I looked into what he did, but he was an assistant at a Joachim Lowe for like eight years with the national team. Never, he came in Bayern as an assistant, but never pushed himself on the team. And, and clearly when he took over, again, he... he Without taking control, he controlled the dressing room, he controlled the, the players. And I think there was a photo online somewhere, I'm not sure it was on Twitter or somewhere, where Suarez was drinking a, a Pepsi and having a feed, where Lewandowski was in the gym and working out. And, and that's basically what you can compare it, right? But I think Bayern is so complete that I'm almost looking like uh, I'm, I'm looking at when Germany won the World Cup. Um, to say that Müller in that team is such a leader, is such a gift the team such an, a, a kind of energy. And if you're talking about a complete team that makes forwards runs, that has fitness, probably peak fitness, defense as a unit, uh, and basically all 10, and Neuer guides that from the back, I think Bayern, you can't be more complete than, uh, than Bayern FC. And if you then look even at the number 12, 13, 14 on the bench, that they can replace some players. Mm-hmm. You've got Kingsley Coleman coming off the bench, who's got the same or even more speed than in Yarby and all these kind of things. So then we're talking about a midfield player where people probably never knew him, Goretzka. And I think he's been the player of the Bundesliga this year because of not a name, but what he's done. He scored a lot of goals as a six. That was the second aid because Thiago and him playing that same role. I think they both uh, function very well as two sixes with that, you know, that aid role in uh, uh, alternatively. And but it's unbelievable. Uh, it goes back to if you want to say so the Guardiola system, and that's why it was it was interesting because there's three of the um, three German coaches in the last four in the sem- uh, in the semi-finals. They all play with the back four. No one plays the back three or back five. You want to call it that way. Jurgen Klopp plays with the back four. So there is some kind of system where they believe it in. And Guardiola did the same thing at Bayern Munich with he had wing backs with, with Lahm and, 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 and Sonia and right, I forgot his name. But the four in mid, the two in midfield, the two holding midfield, the two centre backs, they were his defending players. Everyone else were his attacking players. So he can end up with two centre defenders split with one, one half in Martinez, for instance, comes at the six. Becomes the back three plus one central. That's how he defended all his counterattacks. That's what I think Flick does similar with Goretzka can play that role, and then he still have a similar uh, central defender. So there's so much depth. And if you then look at the goal against Bayern, where the right, the left fullback goes up, Dave is a young player, well, what a talented player he is. Nato oh. goes into the ADR box, passes the cross, and the right fullback scores. Mm-hmm. Well, then you talk about. Fitness, complete football, uh, rotation of, of positions and everything. But for me, the player, and we know he's a great finisher, is Lewandowski, who is just the engine in that team, never gives up, always wants to score a goal, also unselfish, which is a very rare ability for someone that scores so many goals. And yeah, it's a joy to watch. And, and yeah, 
18 was actually a lucky score for Barcelona because I think it could have been 12 or 13 easy. It's been fantastic to see this Bayern side performing so well, Drill. Um, but the question that we're posing with respect to tomorrow's clash is: Will Lyon cause another big upset? We were so shocked when they were managed, when they actually managed to get the result over Manchester City, and we'll talk about City's capitulation shortly. But can they do it? Can Lyon beat this perfectly complete Bayern side? Yeah, it's. Um, I, don't, I can't see them beating Bayern. I, I just think that. Um, you know the way the way Bayern dismantled uh, Barca was was I agree something like when you saw in the World Cup in um, in in, in uh, Brazil when they when they smashed Brazil um, it was a very similar and I know Muller said the same thing that it felt like that so um, the, what really impressed me about Bayern is that. Um, they're very obviously. I always talk about pressing. You know that, but they're complete with a ball possession. When they've got the possession, they know what they're doing. When they're sitting back in a low block, how quickly they go up and start pressing up high. So they'll drop from a low block, and all of a sudden, on negative pass, they, they're pressing very aggressively. And if you've got guys like Messi who and Suarez who don't really, well, Suarez obviously presses a, um, and and he can be quite aggressive, but Messi doesn't do that at all in in today's game. If you're playing a team like Bayern, you can't. You're basically you can't. You don't have any press because you're never going to be able to put pressure on them properly. Whereas Bayern are always for 90 minutes got pressure on the ball in different areas, whether it be right up high or even when they're down in a low block. As soon as the ball comes into an area, they're onto it and then they go forward. So that's a very very difficult um, thing to play against. Men City are a similar team, but the one thing about Men City, um, they've had many games where. Uh, people where teams have they control the game they have so much possession and quite often they'll create chances and they'll win and they'll score and all this kind of stuff but there's been many games where they haven't been able to convert haven't been able to break down teams and have always copped a chance or a goal behind them um, and that's happened many times this season um, and you've seen it it's almost like the stock standard man city totally dominate the game they always give one chance in the yeah. game, and that chance seems to be dangerous, or a goal comes from it, or something happens from it. Um, it's really interesting to watch, actually. And they miss a lot of easy chances as well, um, although they created a lot. So those kind of results are always possible for um, for Man City, whereas Bayern don't really give up those kind of chances, don't really give up many opportunities for teams. So. It'll be a different game, but I definitely think that Bayern are just looking too good and they'll find a way to win it. One more question, though, Paddy, before I bounce over to Nick Stoll, though. Is there a vulnerability in Bayern's high press? I mean, we saw them absolutely demolish Barca, but did they at all look fragile to you at times where against a team, say, if they do end up in the final against a PSG, for example, they could suffer and they could be exposed? Um, well, with a high press, you can be exposed because the field is minimum 50 metres long. Like if you go from halfway to there, you know, six yard box, so you can get exposed. I think they got too much depth and too much speed as the back four as well because Davis got speed, Kim has got speed. They got ability. They, they can play as midfielders both, and and the central block. He probably the most exposed to this right central defender who is um, who's been there for a while, Teng, who's got the least speed of them. So that's where I think they could be uh, a little bit vulnerable, but I think they'll come up with an answer right there. And I don't, I don't see anything because their understanding of how the press, when the press, and who's leading that, the guy that leads that is Muller, who's in the middle of the park as the 10. 
So when they press, he sometimes presses the second nine. Sometimes he presses as a winger when the wing, the opposite winger went in as a second nine, and he just covers that distance. So there is a fantastic link, and then with Müller and Goretzka together, they can do that role. And then Thiago can sit as a six. As soon as they win it, they have players around the ball that they can always keep the ball. And it's nice if you have a Thiago in form, close to you, you can play with the ball, and, and everything is safe. And, and then you have a left fullback, he's not just a fullback, he's very comfortable on the ball, he's got speed, got great crossing ability. And then you got somebody up front that can score goals, and plus speed from Yabi. It's similar to what Guardiola wants with Man City, where he had a Sane, he had a Sterling, they had speed on the wings, and then he had David Silva and, and, and De Bruyne that were actually the ball players. Mm-hmm. So the back three, or the back four, basically, there was the back three plus one midfielder, Against Lyon, they didn't have a great back three. If you look at Laporta, he's a good player, but doesn't have a great speed. If you look at Garcia, 90-year-old, to be in the center of the defense and, and stop counter-attacks. And on the right, the midfielder, Fernandinho, who plays the captain, became the, the back of the right three because Walker then could go up similar. So I wouldn't have done that. yet. Yeah, I've never been in that position, of course. But if you look at two of the goals, they just came from long balls and they their positioning was high line. You cannot defend the high line if you have players against you that have speed. And I don't think Bayern will do that against PSG. They'll identify they have speed and Bopper can kill you every time with speed. So they will probably drop at some stage if they can't keep pressing for 90 minutes. But they'll do the pressure like Driller said. They'll do the pressure from halfway or on the wider area. So then they have to move it around. So it'll be an interesting game. But I think uh, yeah, my money would definitely go to Bayern. Uh, a comment coming through from Gordon Scanlon via Twitter. Good afternoon to you, Gordon. Great to have your company, mate. Thanks so much for tuning in. Leon play a very narrow system. Will be interesting to see how they deal with Bayern's width. Um, it seems as though we've already decided the final, Nick Stoll. Uh, but can you see Leon? I mean, for many of us, we didn't expect Leon to get actually get past Manchester City. But can you see Leon doing any damage in this game? Uh, not particularly because I, th- I think what is going to happen is Leon is going to sit deep and, and just try and absorb pressure and maybe get one or two chances on the counter-attack. And like you guys were saying, you know, uh, Bayern Munich is a lot better at protecting against the counter-attack. Then it's just going to be relying on set pieces. But the thing I think about that is even in these games, Leon against City and against Juventus, they gave up a lot of chances. It wasn't like... You know, they weren't giving up a lot of shots. I mean, City should have put them out with the amount of chances that they had, especially that one by Raheem Sterling. So I don't think Bayern are going to make the same mistakes. I think Leon, even if they sit back, will still give up chances, and I think Bayern will make them pay as opposed to City. Okay, well, we've already decided that the Champions League finals driller is going to be played between PSG and Bayern. But, um, you know, the question I want to ask to everyone tuning in here today and to all of the panellists is, are Bayern still the favourites for the UCL? Um, it's, always, it, it's, always, it's always hard to say uh, favourites. I mean, I, I just think now it's about form and, and both PSG and Bayern are in unbelievable uh, form. Uh, what Solich what just said... Leon did give up, give up a lot of chances. If you have a look at PSG, if you have a look at Bayern, they don't give up many chances. They, they have dominating performances and they, they are looking very good. So anything can happen in football. We know that. So Leon always have a chance. But um, with Bayern, if they do play against uh, PSG, it'll be, again, a very different game. Um, another thing when we were talking about uh, Bayern against Barcelona, quite often when you talk about pressing and, and, the, and being compact, 
which is a very big key to, to, to pressing and doing it properly. Most teams are around 27 to 30 metres from, from defender to striker. At some times there, they were less than, it looked like 15 metres. It was incredible to see how narrow, how, um, how compact Bayern were against Barcelona because they know Messi wasn't going to run in behind and Suarez weren't particularly going to run in behind. So they're, tactically, they were very, very well prepared um, because if there's no pressure on the ball, that ball in behind is always always um, a, a risk. If there's pressure on the ball, you can always step up and, and press aggressively. So their understanding of where the danger is and, and where the danger potentially could come from was incredible in that game, even though Barcelona didn't play their best. Um, so... Israel, can I can I ask just quickly? Do yeah. you think they'll have to? Let's say they go through to the final. Do you think they'll have to change that because Mbappe and Neymar can get yeah. in behind? Yeah. So, so if they if they keep a very and that, they didn't do it all the time. I mean, there was different different. There was fluidity with the way they were structured, but there were times there where they were very very compact and less than twenty meters had to be. Um, I, I didn't I didn't have the actual stat there. Where I was looking for it, um, but against. Neymar and Mbappe, if they have no pressure on the ball and they're that compact, every ball in behind is a threat. So they're going to have to adapt and play differently. So they're going to have to either put pressure higher up and make sure those balls don't come in, or they're going to have to sit deeper and make sure there's no room in behind. So that'll be the tactical battle when they play. But let's make sure they get past Leon first. Of course, the Bayern will be their first finals appearance since 2011-2012 uh, when they defeated Chelsea. Uh, and they last fought back in 2001 against Valencia on penalties at the Sun Seal in Milan. So a lot riding on this for both clubs, you'd have to say, historically. Paddy, I want to move on to the next uh, topic of conversation and ask you just who has been the most impressive player to you throughout this UCL campaign? Um, it's been a hard one because it's been, you know, disturbed by COVID. But if I look recently and if I look back into how they also play in their own local competitions, I there's a few I like. I think Neymar's doing really well in the local competition. Of course, in Liga, he has been up and down. Um, I like Müller because he's always very reliable. He's done exactly what you expect of him, but then in the, in, in the, in the best way possible. Um, I like Marquinhos, what I see of him as a midfielder coming through and in attacking shape and defending. He's just energy goes also. But to me, I, I think Lewandowski should get my vote because he's just been, he's been so good for so many, you know, for so long already. You never hear a complaint. It, it's him and the wife, of course, they have a perfect match. And but what he's done so far in the league again and then in the Champions League now is just his. He's scored 14 goals so far in the Champions League campaign. He's been absolutely fabulous to watch. I actually picked him as my favourite player as well. The second to oh, that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. We can agree. The second to that. I mean, he hasn't been a favourite for me in terms of the best player in this UCL season, but he's been a revelation. That's Erling Haaland, who's also um, second yeah. on the goal 
scoring charts for both Salzburg and Dortmund with 12 goals. I think he's been a sensational player to watch so far throughout the Bundesliga and also in the Champions League. Stolich, who was your best player in the UCL this season? Yeah, I think it has to be Lewandowski because for also not only the goal scoring, but also the fact his combinations with Muller and you often see him go out wide as well and get crosses into the box and create chances. So it's just, I think sometimes, you know, we talk so much about formations and stuff, but it's actually even the relationship between players that play close to each other is so important. And the relationship that he has with Muller, Gnabry as well in behind, uh, Perisic, is fantastic. So he has been the focal point of one of the really special teams, I would say, in Champions League history. What about for you, Driller? Um, And if it does happen to be Robert Lewandowski, why aren't we talking about him with respect to Ballon d'Ors? What does this guy have to do to get nominated for Ballon d'Or? We should get it this season because, um, look, it's always easy. Uh, you got Messi, Ronaldo, and they've, 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 you know, they're, they're superhuman. Um, you can go back to the other thing about um, Neymar being underrated. Uh, the problem is he's always compared with Messi and Ronaldo, so the bar is always against those two, and he hasn't always produced what they have produced. So that's probably why the question keeps coming up with him. Lewandowski... Um, Unfortunately, he's in an era where you've got superhumans that you're playing up against. But he, as a striker, has got everything. And not only does he score goals, you should when he when he when he's when he's working for the team, how he's pressing the ball always aggressively. There was one game where he made a run from deep. It was like he just sprinted past everyone. I can't remember which game it was, um, but it was like I couldn't believe it was him. He was he is so fast as well. So he's a complete player. He's a winner. He's constantly scoring goals, and it's a real it's a real shame that um, that he won't be able to to, to get a Ballon d'Or because um, sometimes I think they're a little bit narrow minded about what kind of players they look for. But he's definitely and not only not only for Bayern, also for Dortmund beforehand. He was always scoring goals and all. So he's been a complete player for many many years. So um, regardless of it's Ballon d'Or or not. He's certainly doing a great job for Bayern. It's a big reason why they're going to be in the final. <laughs> uh, before we move on to the next topic, Paddy, I want to ask you, I mean, can you envision him leaving Bayern and going to test himself elsewhere? What is he? He's 31 years of age, there or thereabouts. Um, you know, is a, is a move on the cards? And if he was to move, where could you see him going? Well, I think we've, we've spoken about this, Lucy, on the show, like, you know, for the last four years when we did Champions League with SBS and, it was all what his wife wanted, and I think Real Madrid was high in the cards. And and he was always going to go, if he was going to go somewhere, and it was maybe three years ago, he was going to go to Real Madrid. Yeah, they had, at the time, a Ronaldo there. They had a, a Benzema and Asensio. They got a lot of good players. I think Benzema is still a very, very good striker, but if you see what, what Real Madrid might need, and if Lewandowski still thinks that way, then I can only see him going to... to um, a Real Madrid because he loves that club. Yeah, if you think about maybe a question that comes later, Kuman he's going to rebuild a, um, a Barcelona. The first thing I would look at is Lewandowski as a central striker because he's going to score your goals through on the ground, in behind, and through the air. So you have a very complete player that, that you know you can start with. Yes, Barcelona probably also has to look at some defenders. Um, which we just which Bayern Munich, uh, Bayern Munich uh, really exposed. So, but I think if he's going to go, and that's totally up to him. I think it would be in Spain, and then 
I think for him, ideally Real Madrid, but maybe who knows? Uh, Coleman can get him to Barcelona. Well, let's talk about Barcelona now because they've been the talk of the town, Stolipo. I know that this topic of conversation is going to be the most difficult for you to have to digest. There is an absolute crisis going on at the club ever since that demolition uh, that they suffered at the hands of uh, uh, Bayern Munich the other day. Apologies. Uh, It's been all all the rage. Everyone is talking about how much of a disaster Barca are, what's going on there. I mean, you had Piquet coming out in the post-match saying that so many things need to change structurally at the club. not just the players and the coaches, but they now start need to looking at what's going on at the, the top tier of the club, i.e. the president and the board. He also said, Piquet said himself, he would be the first to go. Now, these are really damaging comments coming out of this. You can imagine only that the emotions were running so high to suffer a defeat as, as bad as this. Um, nobody saw this coming. But first of all, tell us your reaction, being our resident Barca apologist. You are a massive Barca fan. Um, how did you take this result, apart from it being very difficult, of course? Honestly, the amount of people that reached out to me via text was ridiculous. It was like, you know, my girlfriend had died or something. Like the amount of people, are you okay? Just checking in on you. It was a complete embarrassment. Um, It was a historical failure. I mean, it just, it was such a bad collapse that it almost didn't feel real was was how brutal it was. But, I mean, it's it's obviously very real and it's a very scary time for Barcelona because, they're in such a bad spot for a rebuild. They don't have a lot of money to spend because of a poor mismanagement. They have the highest wage bill, so they can't really get rid of a lot of players because who's going to take them? Who's going to be willing to match these wages? Um, you know, they don't have that many great youth prospects ready to, you know, take over. So it's a huge, huge worry. Um, you know, there's talk of uh, Messi leaving and that's an even bigger worry as well. So I don't know, but it was a complete disaster and it's not the first time. We saw it against Liverpool. We've seen it against PSG. We've seen it against Juventus. We've seen it against Roma. You know, this isn't the fault of Kike Setien. Or, I mean, he hasn't done well, but it's not the fault of one coach. It's the fault of an entire club struggling and and this was just kind of the end result of that and Bayern Munich took full full advantage. Zdrilla, Barca made the decision which we all saw coming to sack Kike Setien and there are so many talks doing the rounds now that Ronald Koeman has struck up an in-principle deal to take over of course former Blaugrana defender and uh, and now the current coach of the Netherlands uh, but uh, I mean, is, is this the right appointment? Do you feel that he would be the right way to go? Because for so long there, it appeared as though they were waiting out for Javi. That was, you know, the big rumour doing the rounds. But what are your thoughts on this? Well, the coach is, is one piece of a much bigger puzzle and we just, we just got an insight into many, many problems at the club. And you can see how when you have mismanagement and, and, and you don't, um, take care of the re- rebuilding if you need rebuilding in stages and it has to be very strategic you 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 now see what's happening here and and, and on a grand stage and and the the problem is um, it's very difficult to to just totally change the environment now and you know president goes and and whoever the sporting director goes and now you're changing making major changes all at once you're totally changing Barcelona. So whether it's Kuman who comes in or whoever else comes in, it's only one piece of the puzzle that needs to change. Yes, you've got to change players. Messi, the Messi question is, is basically what he wants to do. He's going to decide if he stays there or not, no one else. Um, and, and, and obviously 
you know, you know, everyone talks about the influence that he has on the club in general and, and the coaching and everything. But now the problem's not just managing Messi, it's managing everything. And um, th to have a rebuild like that after this is, is going to be very, very difficult. Just remember what happened to Brazil in the World Cup. I know it's not a club team, but that was disaster. Uh, and they slowly got back um, into into a good rhythm and in the last World Cup should have really done better. But um, this is going to be a lot more difficult because these are some big changes that need to be done um, and the personnel on the field, you know, who do they get? Um, uh, you know, we just heard um, Patrick say about Lewandowski would be a good option. Yeah, but there's, they need, they need a Lewandowski. They need, uh, who knows, at the back, like an Upa Makano might be, might be something, might be good there, but that's money. That's, Obviously, can you get these players? And that's only a few players. You need at least five, six. You need a you need a clean out. But a clean out means, you know, you're gonna have to wait a few years before things start start um, um, seeing results if you get it right. And you can't imagine, though, Paddy, that Barca is the kind of side that will want to wait to return to glory. I mean, and it's not for lack of trying. They've secured the, the host of so many quality players uh, that they've signed recently that they just haven't managed to, to kind of, you know, come off in the way that they would have liked. Philippe Coutinho being the perfect example, going off to, to Bayern and then he scores two gets an assist against you. I mean, that's a, almost the ultimate slap in the face and a bit of a disgrace as well. But um, I want to come to you on the Ronald Koeman factor, of course, knowing, you know, giving your Dutch perspective on it and, and everything and, and whether or not Koeman would be prepared to leave. Um, he said already that there is a contract apparently that's being drawn up, um, that it's too early to say at this point, but in his contract, he did have a release clause to Barca. That was the only caveat that he'd included in there. Um, but how would the, 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 the Netherlands feel about letting him go? Well, they, they knew. Um, as soon as he signed for the Dutch National in 2018, he put in a statement that if Barcelona comes, that he would be able to walk out on the Dutch national team and not because he wants to leave that job. He just loves Barcelona. Whenever he played there, well, 190 games, he played there for, for six, seven years, and, and he kept his house since then. Him and his wife, Bettina, they love Barcelona. They still go back. He, he bought another property in Portugal for golf and the golf course. I played golf with him. I, I played against him as a player where he was the opposition coach. Uh, he's a very good person. The thing that will work for him in Barcelona is that he had a connection with Johan Cruyff. And the thing that worked for Guardiola, that was he had a connection with Johan Cruyff. So they very highly... Uh, a club that is run by Johan Cruyff's ideas and principles, and and that will suit him. Yet, what Driller said is just that's the fact. You need, you need five, six players to get to the Barcelona level that we all know and love, um, and, and we can get to individual names that you know. That's more about who do you love better and, and what style you want to play. But there is no doubt that he will need to uh, try and organize something. Uh, that, that, that has changed for him because if you look at the last four years where they lost in the quarterfinals in the twenties, it is with Alba as a left fullback, Longley as a centre back, with Piga and Semedo or Roberto as a right fullback. And it hasn't changed in all the games against Roma, against, uh, against Roma, it was probably Matteo that, that was for the first half, uh, against, um, uh, Leon and against, uh, Liverpool, against the Bayern. Now they're all the same back four. They cannot defend speed. 
and what they do is drop too early so every time and then it's a cutback is on every every ball there's always a second or third man run that kills them and this is just not good enough so but Kuman's skills are very good his man management is very good yet he's gonna take uh, Alfred Schroeder who uh, drill note in Germany was the Hoffenheim coach and he's been there a while as an assistant he's a very good tactical coach so what I see can happen is what um, um, uh, Frank Riker did in 2005 2006 mm-hmm. he became head coach and he brought in he brought in Hank Tenkata who was a coach at Nut Radar and Ajax and very good brain very good brain coach. So he was doing basically the, the, the training with Ronaldinho and man management. And all the man management was Frank Riker. Put a hand around the arm of a Ronaldinho. He gave Messi his debut and they won the Champions League that year. And he only had limited Dutch influence with Van Bommel was there. And I think Van Broncos was there. When Van Gaal game, there was like seven or eight players from the Dutch national team. But it doesn't mean the Dutch national team is going to win Barcelona prizes. So... I think the bell is very good, very important. Frank De Jong is one of the best midfielders in the world. Yet you kind of have a Busquets as a 1-6 that is not great in defending. And then with that back four behind you. So Chen's probably the best, def- uh, one less, probably the best defender. Yet he made two errors in the game and, 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 and within no time was 4-1. Mm-hmm. Now to go back to Messi, Messi in January wasn't happy that Valverde got fired. So he complained to Abidal because apparently Abidal was part of the firing of Favela. So he can play to him. Also, when they lost against Osasuna in the La Liga game, he said they've been playing very, really bad in different words since January. January is when Sechen came in. And and to make matters worse, he's, uh, he's now threatened to leave the club. Yet we know from Messi that he's an emotional guy. He said that after losing the Copa America with Argentina against Brazil, that he said, I'm never going to play for Argentina again. I'm going to rest. And a few months later, he came back to that. He plays for the national team again. So there is a lot of man management there. And, like, you know, I wouldn't want to be part of that. It's, it's very hard. You know that some players are not good enough for that level anymore. It's proven now. And it's just how do you, how do you go about it and, and who are you going to get in and financially is it going to work. We'll get to Messi in a second, but I want to ask you, Stolich, um, a lot of talks around whether or not Koeman is the right man for the job. I know that a lot of people were lobbying for a guy like Mauricio Pochettino to take the role, but then people were quick to jump in and say, well, no, he'll never do that because of his links to Espanyol, comments that he has since kind of slightly detracted on uh, more recently. But is Koeman the right coach for you, being uh, the Barca fan that you are? I think it, it's hard to see. I mean, his last club job was with Everton, and that wasn't a success. You know, he had some success with Southampton. Um, but that Southampton team was a very good team in terms of, if you look back at it, Sadio Mane was there, Virgil van Dijk was there. There was a lot of high-quality players. And I think he finished sixth or seventh, which is fine, but not not outstanding. Um, so, yeah, it, it, there are many concerns I have. Ronald Koeman is also a legend of Barcelona. Of course, he scored the winning goal. Uh, for them when they won their first Champions League. So there's that which will help him with the fans and stuff. That will give him a bit of time. But, I mean, one of the biggest problems is, you know, the fish rots from the head, right? And this is the problem with, you know, the signings that they've made in the last 
five years have been terrible. So Barca need to sign a bunch of players, but they've shown no evidence that they are have the ability to sign the right players. Have they been terrible, Stolich? I mean, could you blame them for bringing over a Coutinho? Could you blame them for bringing over uh, a Dembele? I mean, I think they overpaid for Dembele, but we spoke about this yesterday. Really, you'd think that a guy like Coutinho would do well at Barca. So can you really blame them for signing someone like him or any of their other signings? Well, I think they've just rushed into all of these signings. I mean, the Neymar thing really spooked them and they had to bring in, you know, Dembele, but Dembele just was not ready to play at this level and he's had an incredible amount of injuries. I think they spent 105 million euros on him and he's played about eight times he's played a full 90 minutes in three seasons. So that's just ridiculous. Now, injuries can be, you know, unlucky, but you also have to consider, is this player ready for the environment, the professionalism that is needed to play at the at Barcelona's level. So that's one thing. With Coutinho, Coutinho was to come in and to replace Iniesta, but they're different types of players. And I think that's one of the biggest losses that Barcelona have had. The two biggest losses that I think Barcelona have had in the last five years would be Andres Iniesta and Dani Alves. I think Dani Alves was a huge, huge loss. And Semedo, you know, he has his qualities, but he's nowhere near the ability of Dani Alves, both in the ability to go forward, the ability to combine with Messi, the ability to come into midfield and play with mid- in, in midfield as well. There was so much that Dani Alves gave you, and I think that's one of the biggest problems for Barcelona is that they they lost two of two players who were so vital to them in terms of their whole structure, the ho- the way the whole team worked. That then it started just becoming okay. Now Messi has to do everything, and that's clearly not enough when you get to this stage of the Champions League. I don't think Coutinho's driller was played in the right position, but when you kind of zero in on him and see what he's done for Bayern most recently in this quarterfinal stage of the Champions League, um, and, and sorry, Semi, what what are your thoughts around this? Uh, because, I mean, I just think that he's a player that had so much quality. I was gutted to see him leave Liverpool. Um, but, you know, for him to not work out at Barca, did that surprise you? Um, well, you never know what's happening behind the scenes. And... and uh, the, the big teams and you, know, you look at Klopp now and the atmosphere he creates and the, uh, and the chemistry, you know, all that behind the scenes, we don't know. Um, you know, there was already rumours like Messi was starting to get frustrated and you never saw that from Messi before. All of a sudden, you know, he's not happy, he's kicking out, he's doing, doing things that, that he never used to do before. So something behind the scenes, whether it's he's getting older and more frustrated or... There's things happening that we don't know, um, but these are all the dynamics in the team. Um, so if a Coutinho comes in there, it doesn't it doesn't naturally it doesn't mean oh he doesn't fit Barcelona. You don't know what's happened happened in the background, and and those those guys that left, um, like Stolli said, that all changes the DNA of the team. So slowly, piece by piece, the DNA is changing. So each new guy that comes in, um, it, it's a different puzzle that you're trying to fix now. You've missing too many pieces. So, you know, you've got to change people at the board. You've got to bring in a new coach. Um, you're talking about Kuman, You're talking about someone else. But whoever comes in has got to be someone who's able to rebuild and rebuild not only the team but up ways as well and try and manage up as well as the team. And that's not going to be easy because you don't know who all these new pieces are going to be. So it's not an easy task. Um, there's going to be a lot of revelations coming out in the next weeks and months. So um, hopefully they can get it all sorted because we want to see a top-class Barcelona, top-class Real Madrid, all these top teams because that's what we love to see. One, one thing I'll say on Kuman is that 
if he can get the best out of Frankie de Jong, that will be crucial for Barcelona's success going forward. And I think hopefully he can because he has worked with him with the Dutch national team. And like Paddy was saying, the assistant coach who's going to come in worked with him at Ajax and the team that was so successful at Ajax that made the semifinals of the Champions League where Frankie de Jong was such a wonderful player, uh, he's going to come across too. So if they can do that, that will be a huge step up at least. But one thing I'll say as well on all this is there's going to be elections in March. Uh, yeah. I, likely is that a guy called Victor Font is going to win that, and he has already said, I am going to bring in Xavi as coach n- no matter what. So <laughs> even if Truman is doing well until March, which this is going to be very hard to get this team doing well by March, then you have the threat of Xavi coming in as coach, which actually I wonder if Pochettino was offered it and he thought, well, it's going to be impossible to rebuild this team by March to be in a position where they're not going to give you the sack and bring in who they want to bring in, which is Xavi. So I think it's a very, very hard thing to do. And I think also for Pochettino, if he had taken the job, been fired, would his reputation have been damaged? And would he be able to join Real Madrid, which is I think what he really wants to do long term? Can you believe that the the rumour that was doing around Stolich that the players were the ones that said that they didn't want Poch there? No, because uh, that came from Mundo Deportivo, which is a paper that's very close to the board. And I think the board wants to put a lot of pressure on the players. The players, you know, it's true. The players did love um, Valverde and they were quite annoyed when he he was dismissed. And let's be honest, they were still in first position when he was dismissed. So I never liked his football. But there was some success there. But, you know, of course, the Liverpool result happened under Valverde. The Roma result happened under Valverde. But, you know, you actually, this 8-2 has highlighted that Valverde was doing a pretty good job with the limitations that he had. And I think, you know, we talk about Coutinho. One of the issues is when I looked at Barcelona and what they needed, Coutinho didn't seem like the player they needed because what they were lacking, I thought, a lot was width. And, you know, Messi comes inside. Suarez is already inside. Then you had Coutinho drifting inside. What you kind of wanted was a player out wide. Now, Dembele would have been that player had he not yeah. been injured, which I guess is the frustration. But that was also when they signed Griezmann. It was another one of like, okay, so hold on. You've got Messi inside, you've got Suarez there, and you're going to have you know, Griezmann, whose best position is second striker. There's just no room. So, I don't know. Again, it's that frustrating thing of you think like, and you think about any coach that comes in, this is very much like when Guardiola came in in 2008, and the first thing Guardiola said was, Ronaldinho, out. Deco out, and then he tried to get rid of Eto. Huge calls at the time. Outside of Messi, they were their best players. Is the coach going to be able to do that? Is Komen going to be able to do that? Is Pochettino going to be able to do that? Because you have to say that probably Busquets is done at this level. Probably PK might be done at this level. Rakitic, I still think, is a good player, but he's 32. You know, Jordi Alba, 31. There's a lot of big calls. Luis Suarez, 30 or 33, I think, at this stage, not making the runs that he used to make in behind, not making the, the pressing things that he used to do. There's huge calls that need to be made. You still need to keep Messi and keep Messi happy while basically getting rid of a bunch of his closest allies in the dressing room. It's really going to be an impossible job. I think Barca are not going to win a Champions League for another three years. I don't think so. Ooh. All right, let's talk about Messi. Uh, Timothy Darkus writing in via Facebook. Great to have your company, company, Timothy. Thanks so much for writing in. Xavi is not ready. Xavi is not stupid. 
Um, Patty, I want to ask you about Messi because there's been so many rumours about him and we've already outlined the fact you said there perfectly uh, a short time ago that he's a very emotional player. I mean, the pressure that's on this man's shoulders, particularly when it comes to the Argentinian national team and now we're seeing it within this Barcelona team, having taken all the crucial elements around him, um, you know, so much more pressure is being heaped on Messi now uh, within this Blaugrana side. But um, should he leave Barca? Can you see him leaving Barca? He's come out, uh, I mean, these are what the reports are, effectively saying that things need to change now or I'm going. Um, I personally don't like the fact that he has so much power. I know he's one of the greatest of all time, but the fact that every time things don't seem to go his way at either national team or domestic team level, he comes out with these alleged threats. Um, but what are your thoughts around this? Well, I would like to see him stay because that's, that's the ultimate fairy tale, right? A young boy come to the academy, become the best player ever, you know, to be playing in the Barcelona Stadium and and win everything they've won. He won everything with Barcelona, so it's um, it, it's it's the ultimate fairy tale you want to see. Yet, I also don't see someone paying seven hundred million for Messi where he doesn't have anything to say. So he might go to Man City, he's not going to say anything because Guardiola's in charge. You know, he's not going to have that power to say, which he probably also likes because he likes to put a team out there, if you can say it like that, that supports his kind of style and that he doesn't have to work as hard in defending because I think that's what Guardiola started a little bit with him. Favela helped him with that, that he's not the one that defends. He just gets in positions. When we win it, can we find Messi and he does his thing? And that works great if everybody is, is fit and can defend well as a team and we can find Messi in a transition because Messi with the ball is unstoppable. And that's what Guardiola said in the peak time. If Messi's got the ball and is running to you, just pray because no one's going to stop and you just hope, have to hope he's going to miss the shot, which is just factual, right? Because we have to agree you might not like him or you love him, that he's just a freak. But the same Ronaldo. Um, is he going to leave? I don't think so. Is he? Does he want to have a statement? Of course. This is Messi, probably from the last six, seven years, where he had something to say to suit his game. Um, he needs a better team around him to make him look good again because he can make himself look good, but unfortunately he needs a lot of players that can help him as well because he's, uh, he's also getting a bit older. He's not great in defending. He's not great in putting pressure. He can win the ball. He's very strong actually to hold and fend players off but his best is dribbling and driving towards the goal and finishing his calmness in front of goal is unbelievable so i can't see him leave yet yeah you have to have a coach and coleman i think can he might you, you need to get the respect of messi man messi is not going to give you the respect he needs to understand that you are working for him and he's not working for you and if you work for him then he will get on board and he will start working for you which ultimately what we've seen so many times before that he does the, the best things in the world. So that will be probably the biggest thing. But I hope he's not going to leave because I can't see him play anywhere else. Um, even in Man City, it would be great for England in the Premier League, yet does it suit him? What is he going to do there? What position is he going to play? What role is he going to play? Uh, and, and yes, uh, I hope I hope he's going to stay there. Big shout-out to A-League Means joining us once again this week. Great to have your company, lads. How can you not be excited for the prospect of seeing Messi in EPL? Driller, it seems like a bit of a pipe dream. Um, but, you know, we, we talk so much about if he was to leave, where would he go? But ultimately with Messi, I think what Paddy just said there is that you need to be working for him effectively. And my argument is that that seems to be part of the problem. I know he's one of the greatest players on the planet. But is that part of the issue at Barca and, and for any incumbent coach? 
yeah, his personality is, um, and you can't argue. I mean, he's, he's 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 basically every year he's just been um, so dominant with Ronaldo. Um, you only have to look at Argentina and you see the problems that coaches have had uh, when coaching Argentina. That um, it's it's not easy. They know that they have to create a team around Messi, but that's not easy. So yeah, so. Obviously, the pieces that came together for Barcelona, for Messi to to be able to um, <clears throat> dominate with his style of the game and not have to defend as much as other players, means that the other players have to work extremely hard to create that environment for him. They weren't able to do that in Argentina. They had a, a string of coaches that weren't able to to find a way to get the best out of Messi. So Messi would know that as well. So if he goes somewhere... Probably the only place he could go is 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 to Guardiola, who knows how to to use him, and will find a way. I guess. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, he's also not stupid. He's not going to to leave Barcelona. Ronaldo has gone to Juventus and done a great job in scoring goals in a very difficult league. Everybody's going to compare Messi with Ronaldo. Uh, with Ronaldo. Um, so if Ronaldo goes somewhere, he's not going to want to go somewhere and not succeed. So it's a very very important decision for him. Um, probably for that reason, I think it would stay. Otherwise, someone like uh, Guardiola taking the Man City would would probably be um, an option for him. But who knows? I mean, look, the guy is very comfortable there. He's been there all his life. Um, you know, if if the right uh, people come in, um, I'm pretty sure he would still stay there. His stats are phenomenal, Stolich. You don't want to see him go. No one really wants to see him leave Barca, but I posed a very controversial question in which I said, you know, does he need to leave in order for Barca to be successful going forward? Have they heaped too much on Messi and worked too hard to create all this success around him? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's no doubt that the rebuild job would be easier if you got rid of Messi because of many reasons, because, you know, the money that you would have to be able to spend on players, the salary would free up. Yeah, you don't have to build the team around him so much. But this is a guy who even this season, with Barcelona struggling, 31 goals, 25 assists. is ridiculous. It's ridiculous, that number. is 31 goals, 25 assists. We talk about Kevin De Bruyne having, oh, what a season Kevin De Bruyne had. He had more assists than Kevin De Bruyne and more goals. And we think like, oh, my God, Kevin De Bruyne, best player in the Premier League. Wow, every team in the world would want him. Messi is still a phenomenon, and we saw it against Napoli in, in the week before. He can still, you know, nearly just, just if you give him the ball in space, he's going to kill you. He's going to score for sure. He's going to get assists. He's, he's a phenomenal player. What he doesn't have now, he doesn't have, yet. Yeah, like Zilla was saying, all the pieces that you need around him. And, you know, I look like I compare it to Neymar. Neymar has Mbappe, and Mbappe, maybe, you know, Messi used to have Suarez. But Suarez has declined, whereas Mbappe is unbelievable. He's he's moving into his peak, and Neymar is making the most of that. And then Di Maria is also a vital cog in that thing. So I don't think Messi will leave. I think what he is doing is trying to put pressure on the board, either to bring in you know a coaching candidate that he wants or to, to make signings, to threaten it. But I don't think he will. This is a guy who likes continuity. He's been at the same city since he was 13 years old. He's had the same girlfriend, I think, since he was they were friends when they were kids. This is a guy who likes everything to be the same. His father is his agent. You know, he always has his family around him. They're not going to want to move to Manchester as well. Uh, Football-wise, it makes the most sense because of Guardiola. But it's also it's going to be a huge outlet. And the only 
teams that probably can afford him are Manchester City, PSG, who probably don't need him at this stage, Real Madrid, and if he went to Real Madrid, I would worry for his safety, his family's safety, the president's safety. That would just be an absolute riot. And then there's talk of Inter Milan. And Inter Milan, I think, why would you go to Inter Milan now? They're doing well, but they're not even at the level of Barcelona. Barcelona are losing Champions League quarterfinals into his Europa League. So I think he's not going to leave. I think he just said this to try and put the pressure on the board and hope that they really kind of, you know, make the most of these last two years, which I don't think they will. Mm, all right. So that's enough Barca talk. My God, we've appeased you. We've appeased all the Barca apologists. Let's move on to talk about the crisis that occurred with Manchester City dropping out. They've spent a billion, Paddy, a billion on players, and it just hasn't worked out for them. Pep Guardiola, of course, desperate uh, to succeed in Europe once again with this Manchester City side. We've seen their dominance already exacted in the Premier League, but again, they fell short. But what did they get wrong? What did Pep get wrong against Lyon? Um, I think he got the back three wrong. I think he relied too much on young players. And, and if you just, well, we, we all do the analysis and factual and the stats, and most goals get scored in transition. These three are not ready to play in transition against quick players. Then you have an Edison, who's probably the best football-playing goalkeeper in the world, together the Testagen tries to do the same. And they both have mistakes in them. And, and, and again, this game, Edison made the third goal, a big mistake. Uh, and here you can still doubt what his communication was, where these two stay on the line and just make a save there. So... If you go that way, then, yeah, there's players that are too comfortable. They, they rely on, they're going to score anyway, which you always think they're going to do, and they create the chances to do so. Yet, a Rodri is not a goal-scoring midfielder, and I think they missed a David Silva who can create, like De Bruyne, and also can score goals against, uh, with, with, well, you know, Sterling has the space and the speed and to do his thing. Yet every time he takes, he goes to the barn and crosses it. In the last three or four games, he hasn't really shot from distances unless it was a tap-in when the Bruyne hit it and he just tapped it in or whatever. So he's more also an assisting player. So the only one you rely on is Jesus to score goals in this kind of, in this kind of level of games or the Bruyne. With David De Silva not there and uh, David Silva not there. So I think the Bruyne had too much to do. He did very well so, yet... In the end, it, it wasn't good enough. And I think in, in the counter-attack, they weren't capable of controlling the game, which Pep loves to do. He loves to control 90 minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. And this is what, you know, Jesus tries to do. This is what you like Sterling to do from both ends as well. What Hassan has done in the past, what Mara has done in the past. That's where they get more goals from. But then this, again, they, they high line and they got done in the high line. And this is giving goals away. And, 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 and you could see Pep... He just didn't understand why, why these things happen. He's like, how does it, that doesn't fit in his philosophy that you make a slip up in midfield, lose the ball, and then counter take to get a goal against. Yet, what Driller said, it has happened so many times in the EPL as well. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, so, yeah, he can't control everything in the game. There's still, you know, I don't like that. There's luck factors and there's, you know, things that you have to do right to just stay. And sometimes that means you have to defend as a team. And, he doesn't always like to do that. But no. again, it's all about everything what we do now. If if 
Sterling tucked that ball in, it's two all, and it's a different game probably, and you might see that Messi's going to win it. But again, that's a there, 3-1 to Lyon. Well done to Lyon. They were very good in defending and counter-attacking. Then actually, yeah, they played to their strengths. It worked. So good on them to, for going through. Mm, some very good points there, Paddy. Petar Finka writing in via Facebook, one of our regular fans here on the World Game Live. It's great to have your company once again, Petar. Thanks for your question. Is Pep's time up at Man City? Strill, this is part of a bigger question that I have for you. I love Pep Guardiola. I love his football. I think he's an absolute genius when it comes to the coaching sphere. But one of my biggest frustrations uh, come from, I mean, I, I looked at the stats post-game and you could see that the majority of the possession that they had, of course, we know that Man City are going to outplay every team when it comes to possession but the majority of the possession that Pep's team had was in the defensive third. The problem that I have with that is that Pep never strays from his methodologies. He's so obsessive about detail, about what Paddy said, controlling games. But when it comes to actually chasing a game, he's never really throwing everything at it. And, and, and by that, I mean pushing players forward and just saying to them to become more aggressive, get it in the mixer, son, that style of football. Um, is Pep, and it's a controversial question to ask, but is Pep a bit of a fraud because a lot of people have been saying that out of this result and, and it feeds into Petard's question here about is Pep's time up at Man City? Problem is when um, people people are limited by their own perceptions of what football is. So when you have someone like Pep who who has won every everything and he's played football where he dominates nearly every game. I, I mean, I, I, I struggle to remember a game maybe against Liverpool Klopp who seems to have the better of him. But apart from that, he's, he dominates every game in almost exact same fashion. Um, so the problem is that when he loses a game, people who who can't comprehend how he does it or, or, or how effective that can be, they say, see, you can't do it all the time. But he's just won 99 games out of 100. But that one time that he doesn't win, they say, you see... You've got to nick. You got to. You, you just got to lump it up forward or something, you know. And that's the problem. So this guy, this guy, and and you just showed the highlights. They still killed Leon with chances. I mean, the chances they should have won that game quite comfortably. I mean, uh, that and it goes back to my point before. They the problem that he's having, and and this is, I, I don't have the answer, but he dominates games. Yet they give. Um, soft opportunities for teams that seem to kill them with those limited opportunities, whereas they create so many and are not converting them um, um, in the big games. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't have the answer. But if you look at the, the last couple of uh, Champions League seasons, the one against Tottenham, I mean, they should have won these games. I mean, they, they, they had... You know, they, they have more than enough chances to win these games. So if it's something psychological, I don't know. But you cannot deny he dominates every game with his football. And why would you change that? What, what, and change it to what exactly? Um, you're dominating the game. You're creating more chances of the opposition. You lost the game. But what are you changing? What are you going to change to? I mean, um, I would never change. And that's what a philosophy is. It's something that's part of you that you put onto your, onto the field. It's if I did something different to my philosophy, it's not right. It doesn't fit me. So I'd rather lose playing my philosophy and go somewhere else than than play play something that I don't believe in. So I don't under, really understand that argument. I understand that people's perceptions are different, but you know he's killing everyone and he'll continue to do so. 
It's a great point. Um, Stolich, what are your thoughts around this? Uh, because, you know, elsewhere, when you see these top clubs, and Manchester City, you could say, is a top club, especially given the money that they've spent. I mean, they've spent even more than PSG. And Unai Emery won the domestic title and domestic cups with them, and it still wasn't enough for the Qatari-based group. They wanted Champions League glory. Could you say the same methodology could apply here? And, uh, and you know, could the Abu Dhabi owners decide that, well, we want a Champions League trophy, and if Pep hasn't been able to do it just yet, then do we need to start thinking about about somebody else, or am I being dramatic? I think you're being dramatic with uh, the greatest respect because I just think, you know, he's delivered them two league titles, a record points. They got 100 points. You know, they, they held off an incredible Liverpool side the season after to win a title. But I just think, you know, we keep talking about everyone's a failure unless they win a Champions League, and it's just not possible. You know, PSG, if they don't win, oh, it's a failure. Look at all the money they spent on Neymar. You know, Allegri at oh, Juventus. Oh, oh, oh. Failure. I actually think it is a okay, failure. But let's let's go through it. So if we spent that money because they wanted Champions League glory, they weren't spending that money to create a domestic side that would be trophies. They wanted Champions League glory. I get it, but my point is this. Real Madrid, we all know if you don't win the Champions League, it's a failure. It's always Ooh. a failure, Real Madrid, Champions League, right? Boom. Second, Barca, Valverde won two league titles, but because he wasn't winning the Champions League, failure. All right? Allegri at Juventus, now Sarri at Juventus. If Juventus don't win the Champions League, failure. Bayern oh. Munich, Bayern Munich. Oh, yeah, they always win the Bundesliga, but they're a failure if they don't win the Champions League. You know, Man City, you know, even Liverpool. If Liverpool win another league title this season coming, then the question will start to be, because, you know, Liverpool fans are obviously very happy finally winning a league title. But then the question will be, when are we going to win? We need to win a Champions League. Every team can't win a Champions League. So this is we get into this ridiculous point where every single team... City exempt from the rest of those top teams. I'm not saying they're exempt. The question should be asked of Guardiola. And, you know, I think if, if you look at that first goal, for example, so, for example, the second goal I think was a foul on Laporte, actually. Uh, you know, the third Edison just kind of throws it into the path of the Dembele. But the first goal, there's no pressure on the ball. The ball goes long. And then Kyle Walker doesn't do any effort whatsoever to get back and kind of cover it, which I was just stunned at. But anyway, the, the point is Man City are not exempt. Questions need to be asked. But... I just think it's it's so harsh that we say to every single team that's not winning the Champions League of these big six, you know, they're getting to the quarterfinals. They, teams are going to get knocked out in the quarterfinals, semifinals. I think this game gets played nine times out of ten. City win. Sterling scores that goal. You know, Aguero was also out injured. That, that's, a, that's a big problem for them. So... I think there's definitely changes they could make. More pressure on the ball. Uh, Rodri has his issues. I think you're right. They need to kind of invest in some defenders possibly because they've, they've, had, they've made some bad signings as well. And, and Guardiola, his football is so reliant on certain players to operate at such a high level. But like Zrilla says, he's just won so many. He's won league titles, Spain, uh, Germany, England. He's won cups. He's won probably more trophies than any of the other uh Coaches. Mourinho so, had great success too. That's why I like Alex Sivkarovsky's questioning. I'm not saying that I agree with it all, but you've got to question it, right? Because he's becoming the new Jos Mourinho. We had a lot of success um, with Mourinho earlier on. Um, his days at Inter, uh, and, you know, no one can deny his trophy-claiming abilities, but now we're starting to see a bit of a decline. I'm not saying the exact same is going to happen to Pep, but, Paddy, I want to ask you, um, what are your thoughts around Pep Guardiola and this concept of him being a fraud? But more so, I mean, should he be under the same level of pressure when it comes to Champions League success as the rest of the big clubs around the world? Um, of course, yes, and he is probably, yet yeah, he has got a better understanding and a better relationship with the owners because 
what he does at every club is unbelievable. He made Barcelona uh, buying. He made Barcelona in the team that they already were, but they're just so consistent and win the Champions League and win the La Liga titles and do everything in the best way possible. Then he went to Bayern Munich and did the same thing. Yet he didn't win the Champions League. He lost in the semi-finals, I think, three times. Or so that final picture. Yes, and he got asked that, and and at the time, then he had to leave. And yet he was already close on signing deal with Man City, of course. But then what he done at Man City is unbelievable. They were always the second team in Manchester. Man United was always a team, and then after a while, Man City came. You know, even in the in, in the first division championship, and they became in the EPL. And what he's done is unbelievable. And I think he's the best coach in the world with total football and what he does. Yet yeah, that doesn't give you a right that you're going to win everything because again, football is the best game in the world, the best sport in the world, in my eyes. Because you cannot predict what's going to happen, and he likes to predict. He is almost the god of football that he wants to control that ninety minutes plus extra time that he knows exactly what's going to happen and this is what we're going to do. Play the perfect game, and that's why football is so nice because there will never, hardly ever be a perfect game. But he is the closest, the closest coach that gets to that level, and there is no number two, three, or four if you look at it that way. But again, there is no Champions League. There is um, there is so much money, so of course there has to be questions asked, and there has to be, you know, and and and, and I think with Stolzer you have to ask it him because why does he play with such a young back line? Why does he put the holding midfield as a right central defender and put Rodri in the holding midfield? You basically play with two holding midfielders that are known for tackling but not great in defending. Plus a ninety-year-old as your main defender there. Why is John Stones? From you know, played for a national team in in in, in the semi final and the final, and hasn't played for you. Why? Why? Why are these defenders there and not playing? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, because you don't think they're good enough. So I think there's uh, there's plenty of questions to be asked. Yeah. Mm, John Stone's hot and cold for me, and I think you know Otamendi. Yeah. Disaster for him as well. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't also think that Laporte has worked out as well as what everyone had anticipated either. That might be a controversial view. I want to move on to the final topic before we wrap the show up. Drilla, what do you reckon? Do you prefer? I mean, this format of playing in in one leg versus two. What are your thoughts around that? Oh, certainly in this time, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the options are not really there, but. Um, look, I don't know. I, th- I think traditionally um, the home and away with with fans. I mean, um, hopefully that day day comes sooner rather than later where we can um, have uh, normal football games where the fans there. And I, I think we really appreciate that, um, especially in our environment now. And um, Patrick would know with no stadiums, no. Fan- I mean, it's just weird. Um, just just you know now they've got stadium sound blare, blaring um, in stadiums also through TV and you know we're getting used to something that really I, don't, I personally don't want to get used to but um, the home and away leg gives your fans the chance to see your team in a big game and and the opponent as well so um, from that point of view I, I definitely think um, the home and away legs is 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 the way to go uh, <clears throat> These sort of tournaments uh, um, can be interesting, pre-season, um, things like that. I know they have that uh, international cup um, that goes around the world, that kind of thing for pre-season. But generally, I like the format the way it was, and hopefully we get back to that for next season. 
I agree. Does anyone disagree with that, Stolich? Your view? No, I mean, I, I completely agree. You know, I, I feel sorry for teams like Leipzig, who their fans would have loved to have hosted a semi final, you know, mm-hmm. home leg. And we see a classic example is, is last season Barcelona win at home 3 0, incredible celebrations. The Barca fans are going nuts. And then 4 0 in Anfield. And I don't think that result happens if you didn't have the pressure of Anfield and all that thing. So I think there's no way that you can make it one leg going forward. It, it makes sense for now because of the situation that we're in neutral grounds, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I haven't liked that people have been saying, oh, yeah, we should go to one legs, one legs are better. I even think football-wise, I think a team can get on top for 15 minutes and then just sit back and defend and and hold out that lead, whereas over two legs, much harder to do that. So I'm definitely a fan of two legs as opposed to one. Mm, Petar Finka, two legs is a must. should be in the A-League finals as well. Of course, we'll be talking all things A-League tomorrow. Michael Ong, one of our regular viewers across both shows on the Wednesday and Thursday. It's great to see Michael. Two legs is the DNA of European nights, away goals. We do love them. Paddy, anything to add to that before we wrap up? Your thoughts on uh, one leg versus two? I agree, I agree. But I can't deny that I love it, that I watch every game because it's the deciding game. And this is what we like, right? Because... Yes, great. Liverpool, they lost 3-0 and then what they did was unbelievable. And you hope to see that every time in a two-leg and uh, two-legged match. But a lot of the two-legged matches are already done and over by, the, by, by leg one. So for that reason, I like it now this due to COVID and understand whenever we have a choice, 100% two legs with the fans because you get to see more football as well. You get to see them twice playing each other, more games, more, more game time, whatever. Um, but I like it. I'm watching a game. I'm watching Inter now playing Sevilla, and it's the finals decided. It's like you're watching every time a final in the quarterfinals. Everything is a final because it has to be decided. So just for that reason, I'm enjoying it very much so. But, yeah, I can't wait till the COVID is done, that the fans go back to the stadium and that football is, as we know, and, and, and to be lived by everyone um, and that, that we share the love together because that's why football players is... Oh, that's why I wanted to become fuller to play in a stand for other people for playing for the beauty of the game. Oh, Paddy, I couldn't have said it better myself apart from the footballer part. I had no interest in being a footballer instead. I just wanted to gibber about you. This has been such a sensational show. I mean, you talked about spreading the love around. Um, this has been so great. Driller joining us from Chicago, I believe it's 10 to midnight over there now. So we cannot thank you enough for your time. It's been so great to have the insights drill. I always sing your praises, but every time listening to you, I know a lot of the people have really appreciated the analysis from both of you as well. Of course, Paddy, former Utrecht defender, you've played in the Champions League as driller. Also, I mean, your career and now featuring where you're going um, in terms of coaching has just been sensational. Stolich for you, condolences once again about Barbie's misery. Um, of course, it's been absolutely devastating. And I know a lot of questions coming through from people about whether or not we'd um, have Jamie McLaren on the show tomorrow. I did put in a request with the Melbourne City Media Managers, but he's already tied up elsewhere, unfortunately. But I have also asked, I know there's questions about the, the TD that's just been appointed here in Australia as the National Technical Director, and that is Trevor Morgan, that news coming out today. I have also put in a request with Football Federation Australia to see if we can chat to Trevor tomorrow on our program. But, of course, tomorrow we'll be going to air with that one from 1.30pm Australian Eastern Standards Time. Myself and Stolich will be coming to you with our guest, uh, a very special guest, in fact, David Davutovic, the great Davord, will be joining us to talk through all things football and the state of the game here in Australia. Plus, we'll also be hearing from Josh Brillante, Melbourne City midfielder, which would be great to have his views. And we're also hoping, fingers crossed, Trevor Morgan joins us to talk through what he hopes to bring to the new National Technical Director role 
role. Patty, we wish you all the very best in your stint with the Wanderers. We're hoping for great support. It will be fabulous to see Wanderers return to some glory going forward. So we wish you all the best. There's so much certainty, uncertainty still around the A-League. So once that all gets ironed out, we're looking forward to seeing you on the sidelines there. Zdrilla, MLS coming back shortly, uh, a few days away from starting up again. Is that right? Yeah, we have our next game on Thursday. So Wow, wow. Good yeah, luck, Strip. Let's go fire. Let's go fire. Oh. <laughs> hey, you got to send go. us a jersey. We need a Chicago Fire jersey. Can you make it happen? I'll give you this shirt. If you want. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you one. Don't worry, I'll get you one. <laughs> I, you know, I actually went and bought this PSG one yesterday while I was at the shops grabbing a juice because I thought, oh, I bet you they're going to win it and it paid off. So nice to have some yeah. kids in the rounds. Get me a Chicago Fire one. We want one. I'll get so, one. I'll get one for you guys. Good man. And thanks to everybody that's tuned in today. It's been great to have your company. To all of our regular viewers, it's a pleasure to, to see you once again here on Wednesdays. We're looking forward to seeing you again tomorrow. For any new viewers that tuned in, we are here every Wednesday for a lot of the stories that we have discussed. Make sure you head to the World Game website. So many videos, opinion pieces and articles doing the rounds. It is your one-stop shop for all things football. But on behalf of myself, Stolich, Patty and Zdrilla, that's all we've got time for now. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you again tomorrow. Ciao for now.